Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Open your Bibles to the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 12, first 11 verses this morning, a study that I believe will be very, very helpful in our daily walks, and matter of fact, our daily runs with the Lord. Are you ready to run? Part of the problem, I think, that we face as believers is that we almost take a passive look and a passive role in our relationships with the Lord. Our relationship with the Lord is very, very active. We are engaged in warfare. We are running to win. We are on a stroll sometimes, a walk with the Lord. All of these adjectives that are used throughout Scripture to describe the life of the believer are things that we do. They're not things that we watch. Amen? And so it doesn't matter what sport you would choose to put in here, but the fact of the matter is you want to be good at anything, you need to practice. Amen? You need to get engaged in in study. You need to be learning the skills that are necessary for that particular sport. And so whether it's running or whether it's basketball or whether it's baseball or some other football, whatever you want to stick in there, golf, it doesn't matter. If you want to be good at the race of life as a believer, you need to be ready to run. You're going to have to get engaged in what God has for you. And so this morning we'll take the first 11 verses here in Hebrews chapter 12. And would you join me and... Let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Father, we have come to your house, a place where you were honored and glorified, a place where we've come to hear your voice, to study your word, and to have your spirit speak to us. And so we give you our full attention, and we pray that you would help us to be ready to run the race of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, and therefore we also. So what's that referring to? Again, always remember, that word is pointing you backwards. Therefore, what therefore? The heroes of faith. It's looking backwards towards this incredible role of people's lives who are lived by faith, who are the examples that we have in Scripture of a life that was full of the things that God wants to do. Therefore referring to those incredibly blessed people who walked like Abraham did, like Jacob did, Rahab did, with the Lord and accomplished much for the kingdom. Therefore, we also. So put your name in there. Put your name in. You could say, therefore, I also. Therefore, Jeff also. Therefore, we as the church also. Therefore, Calvary Chapel South Bay also, since we are surrounded, again, the we is you, 
The we is us. This is the church. This is not referring to the great hall of faith. This is the current church, the people listening, the Jewish believers that were tempted to go back to the law. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. People that have gone before, people that are here now. The angels themselves bearing witness to the things that are going on in the body of Christ since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses to this incredible life lived in faith. Because of that, therefore looking back and because of your present standing in Christ, your importance to the king and to the kingdom, your role in this world, who you are as a believer. This is a very personal message to you today. Being a Christian is not a spectator sport. It is a participatory sport. You are to be in the game. You're not watching from the sidelines. You're in it. And so we need to take this the way the Lord intends for us to see it. Since that is true, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Please read that correctly. The we is the church. It's believers. Sin does entangle believers. It shouldn't. It doesn't have to, it can, and it does. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You've been put in for a reason. You're in the game for a reason. You're in the race for a reason. You have a role, and that race has been marked out, it's been set. I can tell you as someone who has spent a vast majority of his life athletically engaged, there are rules to every sport. There are boundaries to every sport. doesn't matter whether you're talking a football field, a baseball field, a track. doesn't matter if you're running down the lane. You, you must stay on the runway to participate in the pole vault. You have to stay on the runway to participate in the long jump or the triple jump. You must stay inside the boundaries of a football field. You've got to stay on the court in a basketball game. There are rules and there are regulations. There are extents to which you can go and places you can't go. If you're running, the race has been set for you. The boundaries are established. Stay in your lane. Looking unto Jesus. Why? Because he is the goat. He's the greatest of all time. Amen? He's the example. Now I would pray that you'd be able to look unto Pastor Jeff a little bit. All of our staff, I hope that we are setting an example as those who are running also with you and running well. But looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, 
He's the one that authored it. He set the boundaries to the field. He established the rules by which we run. He is the one who dictates how we play the game. He is both the goat and the coach. Amen? He's the one that's going to give you the directives on where you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to play and what your role is. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher. You all know I'm a basketball aficionado. I, I am one of those people that I listen to NBA radio. I watch games. I, I, I love the game. I played the game. But as I watch, I can tell you there's something that a lot of people don't appreciate unless you've played the game, and that's those little tiny subtle things that the coach alone does, calls a timeout at just the right time and brings the players over to the sideline and says, look, this is the problem right here, right now. We need to fix this particular thing in this very moment. It isn't going to last the rest of the game, but right now, run this play. Might be a sidelines out of bound play. Something that you would look at, it doesn't seem like it would matter, but that one play changes the trajectory of the rest of the game. The momentum shifts. People all of a sudden get into that sweet spot to where now they're, they're in that catch and shoot three mode. The ball's just hitting at exactly the right time, whereas before it was a half second late. These things matter, and they matter in your walk with the Lord. Precision in the body of Christ matters. Being accurate in who you are as a Christian matters. Practicing who you are as a Christian matters. This is something that we need to spend our time actively engaged in. That's getting better at who we are as a member of Team Jesus. Amen? He's the author. He's the finisher. He's the coach who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. It's not like he got into the game. You know, almost every good coach in every sport also played that sport. Amen? And I'm going to use this throughout today's message because it's very important that you see the connection here. Jesus himself has gone through everything you will ever go through. He was tempted and tested as you are in every way and yet without sin. He knows what it's like to run the race. He himself ran it. He was Jesus, the man, Emmanuel, while he was on this earth. He suffered and died on Calvary's cross. He knows what it takes to run and win. Amen? He's that, he's that coach that when you look him in the eye, he, he's not telling you something that he read from a coaching manual or a book. He says, I was in the game. The game was on the line. They threw the ball to me, and I drilled the three. Jesus dunked on Satan, Okay? Like posterized Satan right there. Just like, boom, done. Take that. Despising the shame. And then guess what? He got to sit down. 
with the trophy. Amen? And it's not the Larry O'Brien trophy. It's the King of Kings trophy. It's the Lord of Lords trophy. It's you. You're the trophy. You're the trophy the king was after. Amen? So he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Like any endeavor, that's what it takes to run to win. Notice how it says that we're surrounded by this great cloud and In an athletic endeavor, especially during the time that Jesus wrote, this particular amphitheater existed. This is the amphitheater at Bet Shean, one of the ten cities of the Decapolis. It's in the Jordan River Valley, just south of the Sea of Galilee. Holds about 20,000 people when it's completely full. A great cloud of witnesses, the, the same exact thing could be said. For you, there is a whole lot of people watching to see how you're going to run. Imagine them seated in those seats as you are answering the call to the things that God has for you in your life. We are under inspection, folks. The world is watching to see how we run, to see what we do with the time that God's allotted to us. How we utilize our time and our talent and our treasure for the king. And I pray that it can be said of us that we're doing the right things. As people are watching, as they're seated, because the world isn't in the game yet. People who don't know Christ are not playing. They're outside. They are seated. There is both a witness that is the world, and there is a witness that is the body, and there is the witness that is heaven. There's a three-part witness. We're trying to reach the world who's witnessing. We're trying to run with those other witnesses who are also in the middle of the race, and we are praying that we bring glory to the witnesses of heaven. Amen? Amen? And so this race that we run is important. It's the deal. It's what we've been called to. It's why it's so important the church doesn't get sidetracked with things that don't matter. We've got to stay on course. There are three aspects that are listed here that you can see very clearly before we move on. And that is preparation. The race requires preparation. You need to be prepared. And so it says, look, you've got to shed the clothes that would hold you back. Well, the Bible says you used to be clothed in unrighteousness. You were clothed in garments of sin. You were weighted down by a bunch of garbage that hung off of your body. In essence, it was part of who you were before you got trimmed down to running weight. I realize looking at me today, it's hard to believe, but I was at one time a fairly substantial long-distance runner. I can tell you, I didn't weigh then what I weigh now. There is some weight that would easily beset me right now. And my knees, my hips, and pretty much all the rest of my body, my heart, and my lungs. You have to trim down. You've got to get down to running weight. You you can't be clothed in something that's going to keep you back. 
I remember growing up in the very beginning of very specialized running shoes coming into existence. You know, now you can get, you can go down to Foot Locker and pick up a hundred different kinds of kicks that you could wear to play almost every sport. And they're made for individual foot sizes and foot beds and everything else. Well, back then there was only a couple of different kinds. But I can tell you what you wanted as a long distance runner and that's the lightest kind. You didn't want to try and run in, you know, in chucks. That wasn't going to work real well. They were heavy, flat-bottomed. You, you see, you need to lay aside. You need to take off. You wouldn't want to run in sweats. You might practice in sweats, but you would never run a race in sweats. Why? That extra two or three pounds could be the difference between winning and losing. You've got to get rid of it. You also have to get rid of that fat. What, what does that really mean? What does it mean to lay aside every weight? Well, notice that it's attached to sin. Sin will hold you back from running the race as a believer. Every sin. That, that's not just the biggies. That's not just adultery, fornication, homosexuality, murder, that's anger, bitterness, wrath, vanity, gluttony. Ooh, I didn't just say that, did I? Okay, we're quick to pick on a lot of things, and sometimes we start to, it's like, God, oh, you have to say that after Thanksgiving? Thanks a lot. We have to lay aside everything that keeps us from running the race, church. That means all those things that you used to dabble in when you were an unbeliever, you need to set those things aside. They need to be gone. You need to put on the righteousness of Christ and put off the old man and all of his deeds. It requires that we use our time and our talent and our treasure very wisely. You have to look at everything as though it matters. What you do with your leisure time matters. What you do with your entertainment time matters. What you do with your relationships with people matters. Wrong people can hold you back. Having people in your life that are, are going to keep you from running the race may be one of the greatest hindrances to most believers' lives. You're attached at the hip with people that aren't even in the game. They're not running the race with you. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't have non-Christian friends. You absolutely should. I believe it's imperative that the church not be cloistered. We should not be sitting at home going, man, I hope nobody gets me dirty today. No, you should be running so hard that you're out in the race, and when you get dirty, you also know where to go take a shower. Amen? You're going to get dirty if you're running. But sometimes, just as much as we don't quite understand the, the Greek games where they used to run in the nude, I mean, that's about as light as you can get, amen? It's just like, well, maybe you should put a few things on before you run the race. But you want to be light. You don't want to be hindered. You don't want to be carrying a bunch of trash with you. 
You know, none of you are going to, if you know anything about sports, nobody's going to play any sport while wearing a backpack, amen? Especially if that backpack is full of the rocks of your sin. Start, put a few diving weights in there. It's like, oh man, I got to take my anger, put my bitterness in there and my hatred and my self-loathing and my lack of a understanding of God's word. You put all that stuff in your backpack and you start to run. It's like, wow, this is kind of hard. Not very fast. I'm not very quick on my feet. I wonder why the devil keeps catching up with me. You need to get rid of the weight. You need to dump the backpack. You need to throw the backpack away. You need to get into this place of participation. You're going to participate. I don't know how many of you, you know, if I... If, if we were going to play a pickup game of basketball, we're going to get two team captains, we're going to pick four other people each, and we're going to have a five-on-five -five scrimmage. I'm telling you, not too many people are going to, could I be on the losing team? I would just like to be a loser the rest of my life. No, nobody's going to sign up for that. I would hope that you all want to be winners, amen? You have to get in the game to do that. You have to be prepared to play to do that. You have to have both preparation and participation, and then you have to have perseverance because it may not always be you that's going to be the star of the game. you still got to stay in. Role players matter. The third, team on a, third person on a relay team matters. The second person on a relay team matters. All five players and the bench on a basketball team matters. All nine on a baseball team plus the bullpen matters. All 45 members of a football team matter. And you matter. You're important to the team effort that God wants to do with us as the church. And so you have to persevere we run with other believers. And it's so important that we get that. And that we do our part to be ready. When coach says it's time to go in, you go in. That's why Jesus is the goat. He was the first. He's the, he's the alpha and the omega, amen? He's the first one to run the race and win it. He, he, he won he defeated sin and death at the cross. He ran it and won, church. That's why we look to Jesus. It's what verse 12 or verse 2 plainly says here in chapter 12. He's the ultimate hero if you want to look at it that way. He's the archagon. He, he's the, the pioneer, the one who was there first. He's the firstborn of the dead, he's the author of your salvation. Everything you can ever be is because of who you are in him. Amen? So he is the greatest of all time. He's the one that we look to. If you want a model, look unto Jesus. It's no harder than that. He's also the perfecter. That Greek word there simply means the one who brings it to completion or the one who finishes it. In other words, when Jesus said to tell us die, what does that mean? It is finished. Amen? It's done. Nothing left to do. What he did on the cross is sufficient. And so if you are believing and living in him, then you are tied into that finished state that Jesus purchased on the cross. 
It's done. He's the finisher. So your faith in that sense is finished. The problem is your race of faith is not yet done. You're more than a conqueror through him who loves you, but you still got to stay in the race. Y'all got some race left. If you're breathing right now, you have race left. Amen? That's the deal. Remember, it's a participation sport. You're in it to win it. You're not in to lose. You're not in to place. You're not coming in second. In Christ, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. You're a winner. And so you still have to stay in the game, though. You're not going to gain that victory by sitting on the sidelines going, well, just give me the victory. The person who does that, you have to wonder whether they're actually a believer or not. Because other people's lives are at stake while you're sitting on the sideline. You're sitting on the sideline going, well, you know, I'm winning. I'm doing good. I know my friend's perishing going to hell, but, you know, oh well. You understand what I'm saying? You guys have a race to run. It's not just me, it's you. Not just this church as a whole. It's you, individually. You have a part to play in the king and his kingdom. He's enlisted you. He selected you. You were chosen by him. You were elected by him. All these beautiful things we find in the book of Ephesians. Chosen in the beloved for good works that you should walk in them. What are those good works? Get in the game and run. Do it. Nike did not invent that. Jesus did. Just do it. Amen? Get in the game. You see, when I think of these things, that means maybe I'm going to drop some TV time. Maybe I'm going to get rid of some friends that are holding me back. Maybe I'm going to get rid of some junk that's in my life. Why? Verse 3 begins to point us that direction. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You see, what Jesus is actually getting at here is, look, it wasn't easy for me. I know you're tired. I know it hurts. I know it's hard. I know it's not easy being a believer today in this world. But I've overcome the world. I showed you it can be done. I'm just asking you to step out and trust me. Believe that what I did... Look... Life is wearying as a believer at times, isn't it? Ask anybody who's been in health care these last couple of years if they're tired. Or in mental health, psychologists, psychiatrists, counselors, pastors, teachers, people who are now doing things in a much different way. I've already told people, don't ask me to Zoom call you. In Jesus' name, I, I, I'd, I'll drive anywhere, but don't make me Zoom. It's like it's so difficult staring at a stupid TV screen going, oh, how you doing? I'm doing terrible. I'm talking to a TV. There's always issues, though. 
You think it was easy for Jesus to be in Jerusalem with the Pharisees and the Sadducees? The scribes? Chief priests breathing down your neck? The Roman government not really all that happy with you? Sometimes we have to just keep moving, church. Knowing the race is going to be over one day. You've not resisted, notice verse 4, to bloodshed, striving against sin. You know, I haven't lost any blood over my battle with sin. I've lost a lot of sin weight. I've had the Lord deliver me, and I'm sure you would say the same from so many things in your life. You look back on who you are. I mean, simple things. How many of us have a cleaned up mouth? (laughs) You ever think about that? How you used to talk? And now you're like, you hear somebody say, you know, some word that's like not even really what you would classify as a swear word. You're going like, (gasps) why? Because your heart's been transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you know that those things don't come out of the mouth of a believer. And all of a it's just who you are. Amen? Then you see those people that you know, that you grew up with, that are still stuck in that place, and you're like, "Um, could we like record your sentences and edit them? Man, the things that the Lord has done for us. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, verse 20, Remember the word that I said to you, servants are not greater than their master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Amen? That's what you signed up for. I can tell you, those first couple of weeks of the basketball season, practice-wise, when you're not yet in game shape, they're not fun. Because here's what happens. You look a little sluggish, and the coach doesn't just go, oh, I'm so sorry you had too much to eat. Okay, we're running lines until somebody throws up. That's how we're going to get you in shape. You're going to keep going until you can't go anymore, until you drop over and you're dead. We're going to get running. And you take off from the baseline to the foul line on your end, to midcourt and back and forth you go until somebody passes out. Jesus passed out for you. Matter of fact, he died for you. He went all the way. There was nothing left, nothing left to give. The least we can do is give our all for him. Amen? And to that end, coach not playing games. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. We're God's kids. I have said things to my own sons that I have said to no one else on the face of this earth. Why? Because they're my sons. There's time that I have taken to speak into their lives because and only because they are my sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, 
he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. You know what? God loves you. You're going to end up running lines sometimes. You're going to end up getting a beat down. You're going to be thrown into a position that you don't normally play, so you can be humiliated at times. Why? Because the Lord loves humiliation of our flesh. He loves for us to come to the end of who we are so that we can be who he needs us to be. Think about it, church. Not everything about you is great and wonderful. Some of it needs to go. And sometimes the only way to get rid of that stuff is to beat it out of you. Okay, because you like to hang on to it and so do I. And it might be something as simple as just a a past hurt or an anger or something you're hanging on to and it's holding you back. You can't run and the Lord says, okay, if you want to hang on to that, here's how we're going to do this, Jeffrey. Remember, he always calls me Jeffrey when I'm getting a whooping. (laughs) Jeffrey Scott. Okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to relive that situation over and over and over and over and over and over again until you get so tired of it, you will willingly give it up yourself. You're going to run those lines. Keep going. Are you done yet? God says that to me a lot. Are you done? <laughs> Are you finished? You're going, to, you're going to quit doing that, Mr. Gill? Sometimes when he's trying to grow me up a little bit, he just calls me Mr. Gill. You teachers know what I'm saying. Sometimes your students can be by their first name and sometimes Mr. Gill. This is Discipline 101, church. Those chastening moments are not fun very often, but they are absolutely necessary. They are needful. Uh, probably not many of you have experienced this, but our boys learned how to drive in the snow. So imagine being here in L.A. That's, that has its own dynamic of your kids going onto the freeway for the first time and having to figure all that out. But now imagine that you're putting your kids, they have to drive 45 minutes to their high school. That's how far our high school was from our home. And so my boys are hopping in their truck and they're going to drive across the rim of the world highway 45 minutes in the snow to school. So there's a few things that you have to tell them. It's like, don't drive faster than you want to crash. That's just a staple when you live in the mountains in the snow. It's like, never drive faster than you want to crash. Why? Because you never know when you're going to get hit with a patch of ice that you didn't see. And so I remember my boys were kind of not paying attention to that. And I was riding with one of them. They were going really, really, really way too fast. And I said, you know what? We're going to fix this. So I took them to the parking lot at the camp, put them in the truck. And I got going as fast as I could in the upper parking lot and slammed on the brakes. And we slid all the way across the entire parking lot and into a berm in the truck. Their eyes were about this big. (laughs) Like, oh, man. I said, you know why I did that? Because that's what's going to happen to you if you keep driving like that, except that might be a canyon, that might be a guardrail, that might be another car. I said, we got to control the situation right here. God chastens those whom he loves. I did that because I love my sons. 
I don't want them to crash. They learned that lesson. They understood very clearly that dad wasn't playing games. God the Father shows you things because he loves you. He's not joking. He's not kidding. Sin is deadly. And so very often that chastening seems deadly itself. It's like, I'm going to get you right to the edge to where you think you're going to die. But you're not. Because I love you. I I want you to be well. And so I'm going to show you exactly what the end of this is. Sometimes people will go, I don't know why God allowed that. I do. Very often it's because you're flirting with something that you shouldn't flirt with. And if you keep going that direction, you're going to be in serious life-altering trouble. And so God takes you to that brink and lets you slam into a berm of snow to where the only thing that's going to happen is you, you might need to change clothes. You know what I'm saying. We talk about changing diapers. We're adults here. We can... God will take you to those places. He'll take you to those places if necessary. If you don't yield to the still small voice, he will whack you with the holy two-by-four of Antioch. Okay? It's because he loves you. After you get a couple of dents in your forehead, it's like, well, he's not playing. Real kids get real spankings. It's that simple. That's what God does, not because he doesn't like you, because he loves you. If you endure chastening, verse 7, God deals with you as a son or a daughter, as kids, as his children whom he deeply and desperately loves and does not desire any evil thing to occur in your life. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Amen? You love your kids, you're chasing your kids. If you don't love them, let them do anything they want. Oh, here. Here's your first bottle of booze. I know you're only five. (laughs) Let's go down to the local dispensary. Let me hook you up. I know you're 10, but it's okay. You understand what I'm saying? That would be a father who doesn't love his children, amen? Not somebody who's cool. That's a father who doesn't give a rip about his children. The real father goes, if I catch you doing that, I'm taking away your cell phone. That's the worst thing you can do to children now. They don't care if you beat them. Just don't take their phones. (laughs) Don't ban them from Instagram. Please, not that, God. But because... Every father who loves their children spanks their children. And I'm not saying physically necessarily spanks, though I happen to believe that sometimes that's necessary. Should be rare and measured. But a real father who really loves his children is willing to say, you're not doing that on my watch. Try it again. There's going to be problems. God loves you that much. Try it again. There's going to be issues. You and I are going to have a problem, son. If you keep going that way, you're going to run into an immovable object, and it's me. 
But if you were without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. In other words, if God doesn't chasten you, you're not one of his kids. You should be very afraid of not being afraid of the chastening of the Lord. Do you understand what I just said? You should be very afraid of not being afraid of the chastening of the Lord. We call that the fear of the Lord. If you have no fear of the Lord, then you maybe should look to see if you're actually a child or not. You should actually test yourself to see if you're actually one of his kids. Because if you haven't gotten a spanking from God, chances are that you're either perfect, which none of us are, or you need to really test to see what your relationship actually looks like with the Lord. It's like, Lord, I don't fear you. When you can just sin with impunity, when you don't care what God thinks, when you keep going down a tangent, a road that is clearly not of God, and you think that nothing will ever happen and nothing ever happens, you better be very afraid. You better be afraid. What the Bible says. Maybe you're not his. Yikes. It's the way it works for our earthly children, right? I love my boys. Quite frankly, virtually never had to spank either one of them. I could just look at them. I had the dad voice and the dad look. You want all of your spankings from the Lord to be the Lord look and the Lord voice. When you pick up the word, your behavior changes. Not, nah, I don't think he means that. When you read it in the word... That is the Lord giving you an opportunity to not be chastened. That's for you to read it and say, hmm, dad said it, I'm doing it. You have a choice though. You can test to see whether he means it or not. You're going to find out that he does mean it. Now he may not give you a good whooping the very first time. He may be really kind to you and go, you know, while you were at that party, you wonder why you ran out of gas on the freeway? That was me. Wasn't happy you were there. You want to know why your car got jacked while you were there? That was me. You weren't supposed to be there. You want to know why you got robbed? That was me. You weren't supposed to be there. And I'm not saying that God always works in those fashions, but I am saying we need to pay attention because maybe he's going, Jeffrey, time for you to move on. And furthermore, as we wrap this up, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. We paid them respect. My boys have both said to me virtually the same things. Dad, thank you for the time when you told us that we were wrong. That you helped us not go directions that could destroy us. If we do that for human fathers, how much more a perfect God who's never wrong, who never misuses his authority or his power, who doesn't, spank you unnecessarily or unduly. If you get a whooping from God, you needed it, okay? You needed it. 
He's not going to whoop you for no reason. How much more shall we not be more readily in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Yikes. You see, we need to recognize that when God spanks us, when he points us a different direction, when he says, hey, you're running the wrong, you're out of your lane, you, you stepped off the court, you can't come back into the game just yet, you're playing outside of the boundaries of the field, you're not playing by the rules, all these things apply, by the way. Some of the most beautiful passes ever thrown in an NFL football game have been deemed, that was pass interference. Oh, the pass was perfect. The catch would have been great. It wasn't good defense. It was a penalty. Why? Well, you can't put your hands on the receiver while the ball's in the air without turning your head around and looking to see where the ball is. Oh, it looks like great defense. And in the same way, our lives are governed like that. There are rules to living. There's rules to life. And you have to play by them. The Bible's filled with them. Most of you know what they are. Holy Spirit's speaking to you. You're in that situation and God's going, "Mm -mm, that's not for you, Jeff. And you keep going that direction. What happens? You wonder why you lose your joy. You wonder why you lose your blessings. You you wonder why God gives you a a good old-fashioned knock in the noodle. It's like, hello. And I'm not suggesting we should go back there, but when I was in grade school, you could still whack people with rulers across the backs of their hands. It's like you weren't paying attention. You, You could count on your teacher coming up and just whack you know what? Didn't cause any permanent damage, but you also knew exactly what she was getting at. It's like, oh, I was being disrespectful. That paper airplane that I was about to throw was actually a missile as far as she was concerned. I know you can't believe that I would do something such as that, but I was a very gifted paper folder. And I also got a few racks across the knuckles. God loves us enough to smack our knuckles occasionally. Amen? So we wrap this up. And now no chastening seems to be joyful in the present, but painful. Hurts. Some way, mentally, emotionally, physically, provisionally. Steals some part of your emotional quotient. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. You see, correction trains us. We call that positive and negative reinforcement, right? Positive reinforcement is somebody does something and you give them positive reinforcement. But negative reinforcement is that this is going to kill you. And so here's what we're going to do to prevent that. We want you to associate the pain of what's going to happen to you rather than you feel the full brunt of that pain. We're going to give you some pain whereby you can remedy this thing before it actually happens. Here's the negative thing that's going to happen to you. It's painful. It hurts. It's important that we respond to that. 
requires discipline. It's like, oh, I remember that lesson. That was not good. For those of you that are mountain bikers, we have this thing, right is rear, left is front. If you're going downhill and you pull the left brake really hard, you're going to be ejected instantaneously. You only need to learn that lesson once because the ground comes up really fast. As you're flying over the handlebars, you're like, oh, dear Jesus, I pray I land on something soft. You see, you only have to go over the handlebars once to remember the lesson. Once you've done that, you're really good at remembering which one is which, no matter what else is going on. And in the same exact way, you have to be disciplined. Precision. A little bit of front brake is necessary, and a whole lot of rear brake is necessary if you're going downhill. And the exact opposite is true going uphill. There's precision to running the race. God's disciplining us. He's coaching us. He's He's moving us on. This word that's used training here is actually gymnazo. It's the word that we get gymnasium from. We're being trained. We're in the gym with God. He's saying, look, this is how we do this. This is what you can do. This is what you can't do. The result of that is a harvest of righteousness in your life. As you remember the rules, as you run with endurance, as you look to Jesus, the the goat, the coach, as you follow the playbook, your Bible, you're going to have great success in this race. So let's get ready to run to win. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, pray that as you speak these truths into our lives and as we absorb them and act on them, God, as we take our place on Team Jesus. Lord, as we recognize that we have all been called to run in this race, and Lord, as we run effectively, we run together with others and our lives are intertwined. We pray that, Father, you would correct our mistakes, help us to get better at all things, Jesus. So would you bless us to that end? Would you help us, Lord, in this endeavor? Make us, Lord, ready to run the race. Lord, help us to put aside the things that are keeping us back and help us to keep our eyes focused on the prize, which is heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.